0: And we're live, episode 5 of Athletic Insights. I'm joined today by my guest, Victoria Everett. Victoria, how are you doing?
1: Great, thanks. How are you?
0: I'm good. Thanks for coming in. Um, Just really quickly, Athletic Insights is a podcast which is to be a resource for youth sports organizations, coaches, parents, and young athletes looking to get a glimpse in behind the scenes of elite athletics. Um, Like I said today, our guest is Victoria Everett, and she was... A Division I rower for Cornell. So, Victoria, just tell us a little bit about um, your youth sports background in Brockville and what led Mm -hmm. you to uh, rowing.
1: Um, So, I have played sports my entire life. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say the earliest, like, official sport I did was downhill ski racing, um, which I did with my sister. Um, We played a lot of sports together growing up. Um, so there's never really a time that I wasn't involved in organized sports. Um, we moved to Brockville in 2002, which means I was seven at the time. Um, and one of my like fondest Brockville sport memories is house league soccer, right. um, which I played, uh, when did I stop playing? I mean, all through elementary school. Mm. Um, and so that was like a great Uh, thing to be involved with
0: what was what was your fondest Mm -hmm. moment of it though what 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 about Mm -hmm. soccer was so fond for you
1: um (laughs) it's funny the one thing that comes to mind and this is more of you know me revisiting a fun fun memory one time at kickoff when we were in the small fields Mm. i scored a goal at kickoff and yeah so someone like just tapped it and i was like i scored from that was probably the highlight. That's and when it peaked. And that's when that was you my knew soccer peaked. And that's when you knew you
0: were special, right?
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was also double the size of anyone on the field, so right. that helped. Mm-hmm. Um, and then rowing, I didn't start until much later. I started rowing uh, in about 2010, uh, and I started doing that because I couldn't play my favorite sport basketball mm-hmm. at the time because I just come off, uh, an ACL reconstruction and I could only do things that were in line. So Lin- linear. Yes. Right. Yeah. Why
0: don't you touch base just a little bit on all the, the knee surgeries and the injuries you've had and, and just kind of, uh, the perseverance that mm-hmm. that gave you. And then, uh, yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, I definitely, I think something no one tells you as a kid is that injury is going to be a part of your sporting career, um, whether you plan for it or not. So like when it does happen, not to let it be like this huge obstacle that you're like, oh my God, like, why has this happened to me? Just be like, this is a part of being an elite athlete, is getting injured. Um, So, I mean, obviously there are things you can do to prevent yourself um, Mm -hmm. from getting injured, but like, you can't stop everything. So, yeah, grade, (laughs) my first official um, injury, grade nine, um, I went, it was like, I don't know, two weeks into high school, and I went on a tour with the senior girls basketball team. Okay. We had like a little like intramural um, scrimmage, and the my first shift of my first game on the senior team grade nine i was like making a cut and as i cut girl stepped on my foot bottom half of my leg stayed behind goodbye acl right yeah um so and i mean was there kind of like minor injuries leading up to it maybe so anyways i had acl reconstruction in grade nine and again in like grade 11. um i it again playing basketball, must have been basketball, I don't Mm -hmm. really remember. And then had other um, meniscus reconstructions in between. So I've had four knee surgeries total. um, And yeah, they've definitely put me on a different path. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think I probably would have, I imagine I would have pursued more basketball if I had never been injured, which wouldn't have happened in this universe. Right. Uh, And, yeah, how did I persevere?
0: Yeah, like did it did did going through those injuries and recovering and still being able to perform kind of give you a different perspective on sport? Like, do mm-hmm. you appreciate it a little bit more? Like, how do you how do you view it with that in that sense?
1: I definitely. It's kind of like when you get sick, mm-hmm. and then you're like, wow, I'm gonna appreciate being healthy so much. You know, you get a cold, and you're like, oh, this is the worst. Like,
0: I'm never gonna complain anymore. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. Um, I feel like it's something like that. Okay. Um, it also taught me a lot about sitting on the sidelines. Mm. Um, you, you were know. observing.
0: Were you kind of learning? In that yeah, perspective? Or, yeah. yeah.
1: And I think that at the time it suited me because like I was pretty quiet anyways, and like I enjoyed watching and like learning from my other teammates. Uh, it definitely put a twist on like little awkward high school or me because I was super self-conscious about being on crutches, like, you know, walking around the BCI hallways with my crutches. And I just felt like it like brought attention to me that I didn't want. Um, but I digress, uh, you know, it just showed me that I could be stronger and needed to be stronger. And ultimately, you know, Turned me into the athlete I am today. I guess. Yeah,
0: and I mean, you've had an extremely successful career. Not everyone gets to, you know, do the Division One thing and mm-hmm. have the options you had. So, um, why don't you just tell us a little bit about the recruiting process? That, like, I love when you talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for listeners at home, Victoria was one is one of the athletes from Brockville who who got to talk to the real D one schools that everyone mm-hmm. grows up dreaming about uh, visiting or having an opportunity to talk to or um schools like harvard and michigan and Mm -hmm. cornell etc so just tell us how the recruiting process started for you um were you reaching out were they reaching out to
1: you and Mm you know yeah uh the recruiting process was totally driven by me uh i had no d1 rowing coaches reaching out to me before i started that conversation Mm um i Made took a list, I took the NCAA top 20 rowing schools and I created an email format and I copy and pasted to every single head and assistant coach <laughs> on that list. Yeah, so lots of emails. And then as a result of that, I was filling out a lot of the like recruiting forms on their website. Like if you go to a school's mm-hmm. website, like there's always gonna be a little recruiting form to fill out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then just to get
0: into their system yeah
1: yeah yeah, exactly and then after that it was a lot of phone calls um talking mostly to the assistant coaches because a head in the u.s like a head coach's responsibility is never well not never rarely recruiting right
0: usually it's yeah yeah, they're got their hands full
1: yeah uh and so then i kind of just like kind of started to slim down my list Uh, Thinking about what I wanted in a school and then I took uh, You can take five official visits and I did take all five. Where'd you go? Um, I went uh, in order I went Duke Then Syracuse and then my third one was supposed to be UCLA. Oh, wow, but I canceled it and That was interesting. (laughs) That must have been a tough decision. Yeah. Yeah, it was hard Um, I was tired and I got to the point where, like, even though, like, California was my dream, um, the flight for me wasn't going to be worth it. Like, I wanted to be within driving distance of home. Sure. Uh, So then, you know, a few weeks before my visit, I called the assistant coach and I said, "I can't, I can't make it." Yeah, it's just not for me. You wanted to be a little closer to home. That's and then he did try and like pressure me into it and say like, "Oh, you'll have to like reimburse me for these things. Like, you should still come. Like, just check it out." And I was like. I'm not going, you know what I mean? Like you kind of just have to tell them um, what, and I would say like, never never say anything that is like final because you always want to like take a step back and be able to talk to someone, bounce it off someone else and then make that final decision. Keep
0: doors open too, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, right. yeah. Kept a lot of doors open, um, but obviously it closed the UCLA door. Sure, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then after that, I went to Michigan and then Harvard and then I went to Cornell later. Right. Um yeah, and those schools like have similarities but also huh, also differences. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I wanted to go on official visits that I felt like were going to give me a different taste of different kinds of schools. Mm-hmm. Duke was beautiful and the student athlete facilities were just unreal. Yeah. yeah. Like when they take you on the campus tour, obviously spent like a decent amount of time in and around the basketball court and they show you the locker room. And I'm like, I'm gonna come here and walk on the basketball team. Yeah, (laughs) Um, right. And then, yeah, I'm trying to think. Michigan, ultimately my decision after all my visits came down to Michigan and Harvard. And Michigan, was pretty tempting. And I felt like that was gonna be my like ultimate, ultimate D1 experience. Right, yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. like that's where you went if you were like, I wanna go to the Olympics and like this is what's gonna get me there. Yeah,
0: that makes a lot of sense. So
1: Yeah. yeah, but ultimately the allure of like the Harvard history and academics. I mean, if you're offered an opportunity to go there, it's pretty tempting. right? So I did actually commit to Harvard and then like later that month tore my meniscus again. And when I called to tell the assistant coach that she essentially unrecruited me. Right. Yeah, um, that happens, that, that yeah. happens.
0: So like one thing for the young kids at home to understand is like you really need to make sure that you're making the best decision for you. Um, because Mm -hmm. as much as those coaches might like you and some might form great relationships with you while you're recruiting Mm -hmm. to an extent, you're going to, you're just a number, right? Mm -hmm. Um, especially once you get to university in the States, um, and you know, that's, that's just the system. It's the way it is. Mm -hmm. They're, they're getting paid to do a job Mm -hmm. and it's performance based. So definitely didn't, shouldn't take that personally, but it's something that you need to be aware of if you're a young athlete, um, going into this, you can't go in, uh, too wide eyed and, Mm -hmm. uh, Yeah. Naive. Yeah. Right. Like
1: in the same way that I was a number for them, I always made sure to remind myself that like they were also a number to me, Mm -hmm. you know, like if someone wasn't interested in me, I was like, that's fine. Your loss. Yeah, exactly. Like I can go somewhere else. And if they don't want me, like that's kind of how I felt about Harvard. I was like, if you don't want me at your school, you better believe I don't want to row for you. Yeah,
0: that 100 percent makes sense to me. I think. Uh, It's the best way to get the most out of people is to -hmm. to make sure your athletes know they're valued and respected. And Mm -hmm. uh, just to finish talking about recruiting, do you have any advice for uh, just the recruiting process in general for the next generation?
1: Yes, I do. Big tip. Um, So you're going to go on your recruiting trips and you're going to be super tired and exhausted and overwhelmed Uh, the first thing you want to do after you leave is write down your initial thoughts because Mm. they're never going to be as fresh in your mind as they are in that moment. And Mm. there might be little things that don't seem important. Like it could be a hunch or like, so, you know, I was flying to a lot of these places at the time. I would get on the plane, take out my notebook, write the name of the school, and then just fill the page with thoughts. Right. Um, So I highly, highly recommend doing that because I definitely came back to those notes uh, when I was making my final decisions. And I
0: think journaling can be so important in the athletic process in general. Like, mm-hmm. um, I didn't do this in high school, but it's advice I now give is is, is get your young athlete or your child just a, a journal to write, you know, what they ate, how they slept, mm-hmm. how did they feel that day? Because mm-hmm. they'll start to see patterns if they, you know, they get six hours of sleep and they don't eat enough and they mm-hmm. underperform, they're going to see that connection when they're mm-hmm. writing stuff down. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think just the journaling, um, recruiting process or not a great piece of advice. Um, one thing I really wanted to get your your take on was just the role that um, that role models and mentors can play in in sport and athletics, mm-hmm. um, and you know who you looked up to and with respect yeah, to that
1: for sure. Um, I feel, I mean, back at BCI, Mr. Larry Smith.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> what a wonderful guy. Uh, haven't spoken to him in years, but he at the time was a great mentor for me. Um, he really. I mean, he supported me in my academics and also, I think, helped me to believe in myself Um, as a young athlete. uh, Really, I feel like when I kind of like found my groove, I only really found my groove as a person and as an athlete once I got to Cornell. Mm -hmm. Uh, And a big uh, part of that was figuring out my mental health. Right. Um, It was the first time. Where I mean, really, it was towards the end of my first year, I'll never forget it. and um, I got to a point where I was like, I can't keep doing this.
0: In your first year? in
1: my first year. It, was it the
0: workload or, or what could what were you struggling with? Uh, yeah,
1: I was just like, school was really hard. I was spending all my time studying, and if I wasn't studying, I was rowing like my, my work life balance, as they say, um, it was non-existent. Yeah. Right, and I feel that
0: way too with myself. Um, I've always been someone who's been too hard on myself, Mm -hmm. and I've wanted to, um, you know, do my homework, do my training, Mm -hmm. get what I needed to done to be an athlete done. Mm -hmm. And then if I had like five minutes to do something outside of Mm -hmm. that realm, that was a bonus.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: But you know, sometimes it's a fine line between whether or not you can have a work-life balance Mm -hmm. as an athlete. One Mm -hmm. of the things, I mean, like I know Kobe Bryant, someone everyone talks Mm -hmm. about, the Mamba mentality. Mm -hmm. Um, He full well said like, you can't be a great friend Mm -hmm. and be the best at something. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can be a good friend, but you can't be, Mm -hmm. you know, so you got to kind of pick and choose. Mm -hmm. Uh, So yeah, I think that was Mm -hmm. a great point. Um, But mentors, I know you had a a nutritionist coach Mm -hmm. um, who played a big role in Mm -hmm. your your life. So why don't Mm -hmm. you just talk about him a little bit?
1: Yeah, so I met him um, my first year. His name is Clint Wattenberg. He now um, works for the UFC at a performance oh, wow. institute um, because that wrestling is his passion. But at the time, he was a sports nutritionist at Cornell and he taught me a lot about what it meant to, what he says, fuel, fuel yourself for performance. Um, and not worry so much about what your body looks like and more what it can do, you mm-hmm. know, the old kind of
0: conundrum. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, at the same time, like I feel some coaches can pressure you, like can make assumptions about what your body looks like and how that relates to performance. And I think I look forward to those kind of stigmas being broken down, yeah. um, because as we are. As we, I feel like as we know and as some people are learning, uh, what your body looks like doesn't define like how fast and strong you can. No, be.
0: No, especially th- that girl. That girl came out with I forget her name. We'll find it and we'll post the YouTube video mm-hmm. somehow. But um, there was a a girl for sh- running for Nike, mm-hmm. and she said her the caption was, uh, "I was the fastest girl in the world until I joined Nike," and I was like, "That doesn't make any sense to me." You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So I was like, "Nike has all the resources. Like, mm-hmm. why would Nike make?" Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, so they had a, a completely um, random number in their head. They had this runner. They said yeah. you need to be 113 pounds to perform optimally, and this yeah. girl had never been sub 120. I don't think. Yeah. Um, and they forced her to do that, and it turned her into a, from the best time in the world for mm-hmm. whatever her event was to yeah. average. If yeah. that and yeah. it and yeah, so I think it's really important that like uh, young girls and boys at home that body dysmorphia mm-hmm. is a really a real thing. Yeah, um, men struggle with sure. it just as much as women, one hundred percent, maybe more sometimes. And it's just kind of the different extremes, you know. Mm-hmm. A lot of men who are huge and muscular, they mm-hmm. don't see themselves as that, mm-hmm. and uh, and then the other mm-hmm. way. Lots of I, my perspective on it is throw the scales away. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you feel? How do you look? Are you getting better? Mm-hmm. Are you performing? To mm-hmm. me, that's that's what athletics is about. So. Mm-hmm. I think that was a good point. And then one other thing that you did with that role model mm-hmm. uh, or your mentor, sorry, was uh, you guys had that body positive, mm-hmm. Cornell. Yeah. So why don't you just touch base about that a little bit?
1: Yeah. So that was um, an initiative that Clint had been working on before uh, we met. So after he and I worked together individually, he asked me if I would help him like bring this program to campus. Um, and really what he was doing was empowering me like to take control of my own kind of issues while at the same time like spreading the good word so to speak um, to other students at Cornell so the program is still running today and I hope that um, you know continues to grow Uh, the way that it's based on um, an organization in Berkeley and basically it's a eight week, the standard is an eight week curriculum where every week you get together in groups of like 10 is what we did at Cornell. Like a support
0: group? Like an information yeah. kind of thing?
1: Yeah, like support slash information. Like basically you come, you set ground rules and you just talk about like, why do we think the things we do about our body and food? Where do those ideas come from? When should they be challenged Culture. and like, yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think people learned the, I mean, the feedback we got is like people learned a lot about themselves and they were able to just kind of, you know, break out of that um, uh, framework that says, you know, foods are good and bad when really it's, you know. It's
0: well, I mean, food. we know that scientifically all sugar or all carb sources, they break down to glucose in the body and mm-hmm. we don't. I'm pretty sure we we believe modern science believes that. Um, a glucose molecule from sugar or a glucose molecule from a sweet potato eventually Mm -hmm. while the the glycemic content will be different Mm -hmm. like and how fast you'll get that Mm -hmm. energy Mm -hmm. it's still the same molecule at a base level right so and
1: for all the students out there glucose is the preferred source of energy of the brain a- so. And
0: for the uh, immediate energy systems, yeah. uh, you need glucose to start glycolysis to produce mm-hmm. ATP, which mm-hmm. is adenosine triphosphate, mm-hmm. which is gonna fuel your yeah. uh, anaerobic alactic energy system. So like yeah. this is, guys, this is the stuff that takes the athlete from being good to great when you understand mm-hmm. uh, the fuel, right? Mm-hmm. I look at food as fuel. That's, yeah. that's you gotta kinda look at mm-hmm. man as machine almost.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then also if you're like me and you love cooking and eating delicious things, and it's also fun.
0: Right. Um, what has your to date been your biggest success in sport and your Mm. biggest perceived failure, and how have they shaped you? Uh, Because you're, you know, Victoria, you're you're a great role model. Like one of the things about you and your sister, um, that I really appreciate is like you're 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 both. Um, strong, powerful athletes, you're comfortable with who you are, but it took you time to get there, right? Mm -hmm. So like there's ups and downs in sports and um, just touch base on your greatest success and your greatest Mm -hmm. failure. And then just some advice for young girls. Uh, Mm -hmm. The last time we had a conversation, me and you had kind of also talked about um, getting them training. Mm -hmm. Girls need to kind of, we need to help break down that, uh, those stigmas Mm -hmm. in the weight room.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I would say my biggest success in sport uh, was my second year of at Cornell. Um, I had finally kind of like addressed my mental health and I was really happy and I had made these amazing friends. Like it was the first time that I made really deep social connections. Mm. Um, Ever? Yeah. Or,
0: wow, good for you.
1: Yeah. Good. Um, so that was like a really kind of liberating feeling. And I was like, w-, you know, kind of like there is more out there than school and rowing.
0: Right, yeah, oh God, yeah. Super you know? important to be but well for balanced, me, right? And That
1: was like, you know, coming at the age of, I don't know how old I was, like 22 or something. Yeah, and I'm
0: still working on that. Like, I'm, you for, know. I and mean, it's a lifelong
1: journey. Right, exactly. You know, and you have to like relearn that lesson because this whole balance thing, you know, does the balance exist? No, the line is moving all the time. Like there is no line, but I'll go back to my greatest success that year um, I had a great relationship with my coach. I was super lucky to be working with her. Um, and then coincidentally I found my academic passion and Which is? I was going super fast in rowing. Um, the sociology of food. Right. Okay. Yeah. We have touched a bit. So I'm interested yeah. in food access, distribution, food insecurity, stuff like that. Right. But not doing that work yet. No, that's
0: really cool. Is that what you see yourself doing in the future or what you hope to do?
1: It's one of the things I'll try. Um, I could see myself working for like a nonprofit, uh, doing community food work. Uh, just, I mean, it could be something as kind of simple as kind of like the food bank idea. Right, yeah. But I'm also like more interested in community gardens okay. and people kind of, you know, Getting their hands in the dirt and planting their food and kind of. Yeah, the get in touch
0: with nature a little bit. Yeah.
1: Right. Um, Sure. But yeah, so rowing, I was in the varsity boat and I was going faster on the erg than I ever had. And that was really fun and exciting. And then I was something like, I don't know. I was also recognized as, I don't know, maybe like an Ivy League Team B or something. I don't know exactly what it was. Like second
0: team All American kind of vibes? Yeah. 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 Very cool.
1: So, yeah, that was kind of like my my happiest, fondest memory of rowing and sports. And then it also happened to come with those accolades, which I don't think necessarily happens. But for me, it did. Um, Lowest point. Been a lot of low points. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think like I've definitely worked with some coaches that. Uh, our kind of approaches and mentality uh, didn't line up. So I think kind of my lowest point in rowing was when I couldn't be up front with that person about how I felt. The coach? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because like, you know, as a young woman working for like an older guy, like there's just like interesting power dynamics happening there. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, the sooner... I mean, I'll speak to young female athletes because that's been my experience. Um, Like you drive your own bus. This is my mom's analogy, okay? Everyone should use it. (laughs) So you're driving the bus, okay? And you're going along and you're picking people up on your bus and you're like, yeah, I'm gonna get you on the bus, you're gonna make my bus go where I wanna go and like people can ride the bus for different amounts of time and like, as soon as you kind of start to get a funny feeling that someone on your bus um,
0: isn't in your corner anymore,
1: yeah, you yeah. know, like if they're if they're not helping you get to where you need to be, and like aren't empowering you to be your authentic self, then you kindly invite them off the bus.
0: Absolutely, you do I, not need them. In I your really life. like that analogy. Um, my last year of football, so I had one one more year of eligibility, and I was kind of teeter tottering between the idea of playing my last year. And putting my company on hold for a year, mm-hmm. or going all in on my company mm-hmm. and putting football to the side for now, yeah. for forever.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I ended up leaning towards the the latter, but mm-hmm. um, the reason essentially was because the coach that had came in,
1: mm-hmm. we had a great
0: relationship the first year and mm-hmm. things were, were rolling. And then, uh, uh, you know, he reneged on some verbal man to man agreements we had made. You know, mm-hmm. no contract, but you mm-hmm. shake my hand, you look me in the eyes, mm-hmm. we're men, yeah, uh, or women, sorry, but just you know what I mean, yeah. Um, you know, the people, you know, you shake someone's hand, you, you come to guidelines. And mm-hmm. he, he had reneged on a lot of them. Mm-hmm. And I got to a point where I was like, you know what, I don't need this anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, this coach seems to be more interested in being the guy who turns mm-hmm. this program around mm-hmm. than anyone who's here right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, that's when I realized mm-hmm. at this point, I'm a number to this guy. Yeah. Um, so, I you know, I stepped away and and I made the right choice for myself. So I think that's that's important. And that's kind of similar yeah. to to your experience at Cornell as well.
1: Yeah. Well, I was going to say how... Like, what is the feeling you have looking back on that decision?
0: I don't have any regrets. I made the right decision. I I know I did because I always trust my gut. And um, Mm -hmm. I'm now in a position where uh, I can share my story and you get to share your story. And then the young kids in the community and outside the community who are listening get to – they get to see – what can happen before it happens? It mm-hmm. just kind of gives them a little mm-hmm. bit of a, okay, mm-hmm. so, you know, high schools like this, mm-hmm. elementary schools like this, universities mm-hmm. like that. Wow, it's eye-opening. Mm-hmm. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, for me, uh, I like how you turned it around there and started interviewing me. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're going to be a pro at these podcasts in no time. This is the second time I've had you on. Um, so then what would did – you, did you pinpoint your your lowest point there? Was, was Well,
1: I think my lowest point was my third year at Cornell. Um, before I realized, um, that this coach was taking over my life in a really negative way. Right. Um, yeah. Right. Okay. That's really all I have to say about that. Yeah, no,
0: for sure. And we're just going to wrap it up here. Um, Victoria, what is your, you know, your take home message Mm -hmm. to, uh, specifically young girls at home, but just young athletes in general who are, uh, you know, they're trying to do some of the things that you're doing and they also Mm -hmm. might be going through some of the things that you've went through Mm -hmm. as an athlete.
1: Yeah. I think um, one of the biggest things I learned in my time at Cornell uh, was just to be kinder to myself and in being more compassionate, like, you know, instead of beating myself up, if I like missed that workout or I feel like I ate something that didn't make me feel good, um, still kind of coming back and just being like, that was an experience. I'm going to be neutral towards it and move on to the next thing, you know, like not beating myself with this, like guilt and shame, because ultimately... It just, like, holds you back from, like, moving on to, like, the next greatest thing. Absolutely. So practicing, letting go, and being um, compassionate towards yourself even when you don't feel like it.
0: Yeah, I know. For sure. We all need to be kinder to other people and to ourselves, for sure. Especially in elite athletics because you're so hard Mm -hmm. on yourself and there's so much self-doubt. Yeah. it's a a tough thing to do for sure yeah um so you know that was episode five of athletic insights last thing i want to say is um to the kids at home listening to the parents at home listening um if you have questions about the content for myself or victoria or guests i've had in on the past uh feel free to send me a message on facebook or instagram or, or you can email me we'll throw my email up uh in the video for you but uh you know this is a resource for you guys we want to hear from you we want feedback And um, I'm going to wrap it up there. So, Victoria, thank you so much for coming in again.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me.
0: Perfect. And we're out.